Welcome to The Traveling Troubadour, the podcast that follows the lives of musicians who've successfully toured around the world playing the music everyone knows and loves. I'm your host, Jason Perno, and our next guest comes from Bulgaria. His name is Petko Slavov. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Petko, welcome to the show. Why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, and how you first got into music. Hello, Jason. Thanks for inviting me. Well, you said it right. My name is Petko Slavov. You actually pronounce it quite well. Uh, I'm from Bulgaria. I grew up in a, in a small city called Kazanlik. It's right in the middle of the country. And it's also called the, the Valley of the Roses because we have a lot of roses right there. And um, well, I actually grew up next to the, the factory that makes guitars. What guitars? That's called Cremona. I think they took it from uh, the Italian. But, uh, well, we grew up around there. We were like uh, maybe 200 meters from the factory. So me and my brother, we used to go in, a, in the yard of that uh, factory and, uh, you know, looking at all this wood they made the guitars from. That was really fascinating. And uh, we just wanted to become musicians. We just actually, we just wanted to get out of this city because it was too small for us. So I guess the music was the only way to get out and start traveling. You had big dreams at yes. that age. Yes. Yeah. We just wanted to, uh, we just wanted to travel. Uh, we just wanted to travel with music, with making music. I find that's a very common theme uh, amongst most of the troubadours is is this sense of adventure and wanting to get out and see the world and exactly travel. exactly so, so who were your influences back then what kind of music were you listening to was it local bulgarian style rock or yes well i grew up i grew up in a bulgaria was still under the communism so i guess the the west music was not so much into the radio back then so we were listening to a lot of Bulgarian rock bands, and uh, well, the Beatles was the the one of the West bands that we they would let into the radio. Ah, so so Beatles and uh, I guess well, the first song I've ever sort of get or get into my my head it was a uh, Hotel California when I just ah, the think Eagles. about it, Eagles. That was the song, and also a band English band called Smokey. I don't, if, you know, you remember that. Yeah, uh, they sing uh, "Living Next Door to Alice," right? Yes, that's 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 the one. So, I remember listening to this LP that my my parents had with the Hotel California, and I would and I would think if I could just make this solo, if I could play that solo, um, that's that's my dream. That's what I want to do. So, how uh, old were you back then? Well, I think I was in a in the fourth, fifth grade. So that was say okay. eleven. So 11 quite young. Years. Yeah, quite yeah. young. So my father had this uh, old guitar, but uh, he would not allow us to to touch it. But of course, when he was out working, me and my brother <laughs> would sit and try to to play that difficult A minor chord. <laughs> <laughs> but once once I get the A minor and E minor, we start playing our originals. That's what I remember. I just. Um, start thinking about melodies and uh, and stuff because I've realized I could never play that solo of Hotel California. It was too complicated for me. 
Well, did have you ever learned it? Did you finally get it down? <laughs> I get it like three years ago because I had to. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. But still well, difficult. Better though. late than never. I I, yeah. I never learned it, but. Uh, all right, so so who were your main influences, though? Were it the Western bands or mainly Bulgarian bands or a little bit of both? A L- little bit of both, I would say. Uh, we, we, ha- we had and we still have this band called sort of the Crickets. That would be the translation. They were, they were really big back then and uh, now st- they're still going. And, um, and of course, as, I, as I've mentioned, all this compilation in the LPs we had because we were not as I said, familiar with the Western music so much as uh, comes to albums. If, if, if I know Beatles, that would be the compilation of some songs, but I would never know the, mm, the albums. You know, I, I would listen to Rolling Stones, but I only knew the Angie song because it was in a certain compilation. Angie, that allowed yeah. Us, yeah. So it, that that's, was actually the other, that's the other song that I've sort of, when I was growing up and stopped playing these chords, the Angie was the song I was trying to, to do. It's, it's so interesting hearing this perspective because of, obviously I grew up in the West and we didn't have yes. any of these restrictions. Um, and, and this is sort of stuff that you hear about in, in movies. Um, it's not something that, I, <laughs> that I've ever exactly. actually come across exactly. in real life. And so I'm really fascinated by the fact that you grew up in this this part of the world that your music that you know was very much controlled and censored by a communist regime back back so, then everything started changing in around 1989 in bulgaria yeah. and i've already been 19, 19 years old and i was uh, you know oh two years later i was start travel i would start travel to norway how did you get into norway well that's the thing um it, the musicians in our city, we had a lot of a lot of bands. Well, the good thing about the communism back then was that in every restaurant, you would have a band, at least five, six pieces band. And in our small city, we had like six, seven restaurants. So they would make 30 musicians playing every night. So we would go, wow. uh, we would go every night in a different restaurant just to listen to them start picking because there was no youtube there was we didn't have any uh, any uh, like uh, i would say books to learn the yeah there was a, there from. was no no competition no. people wanted live music yeah yeah but i would just go and sit and watch these musicians playing the covers they would play and uh so i said we said to ourselves yeah once we get you know start playing and the big thing in bulgaria was the only way to get out was to go and play in a, in a Scandinavia. That was another thing. Really? That was yeah, that, that was a well-known that was, thing? That was the well-known... Even our famous bands, like I've mentioned, they used to travel to Scandinavia because they would make money. They would make real money, or we would say real money. And you can buy, yeah. and you can buy a real instrument. That was actually the, the goal for us. Really? Yes. It's funny that you mention that because now when I think about it, when I played on the cruise ships very often they would have bands from Bulgaria yeah. playing as, as the house band. And I know that there's there's a a monetary reason for that because they, you know, they would pay the Swedish musicians or the, you know, the Norwegian musicians and so on. Um, a certain amount. They, they, would, they would get paid their local 
currency what they would expect to get paid, but to save money, they would outsource and hire bands from countries like Bulgaria. That would be there. And but for but for you guys, was that good money as well? I mean, even though when you were getting paid less than uh, uh, yes, for us it was like I would I could not calculate right now, but it was maybe eight times more, maybe even more than you can make here. So you you see the the difference. So those were the driving forces as to go to go and uh, start travel and make money and get real instruments, come back and start recording your originals. That was the in the beginning. So that was the that. ultimate goal. Was yes, that's 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 incredible. So you you were motivated primarily about going out, seeing the world. Yes. And then making enough money to get a real instrument so that you can go back to your home country and then do original music. Yes, that's exactly what we wanted. So what I've heard from a couple of the musicians that I work with, that back home in Bulgaria, you're actually a big deal. Um, is that true? Are you a well-known artist in Bulgaria? Mm, well, I would love to say that, but I'm not. Uh, the thing is <laughs> okay. that um, I was playing in a I was playing in a host band on the national TV. It's a it's a token uh, as a it's a show that uh, on the national TV that I was in a band, but well, not really. I'm still making my own music, and some of my own music it's on the radio, on a national mm. radio, but that would not make me a known person. Well, people know me, but I'm not. Well, like a pop star or something. But yeah, I've got some songs on the radio. Yeah, the national radio, yeah. Oh, the national radio, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, well, the, actually the big news for me, it was last year, I got my, my novel, uh, my book um, published. There's you got actually your something. Published. Yes, yes. And that's that's I'm really, really sort of proud of. So what is that about? Well, that's about that's about um, a Bulgarian girl living in Norway. Uh, she's she's an immigrant, and uh, she lives with uh, with a guy, and she makes a, a attempt for suicide two times. Oh, quite serious. Is it is it based on any truth, or is it yeah, uh, fiction? Yes, yes. It's the, the girl that I sort of met before. Uh, it was based on on her, but of course the the story is is, is fiction. It's made up. Is it available on Amazon? Not now. It's only been published here in um but I'm I'm talking with someone to get audio in audio books and also get in Amazon but and of course I need a translator for for English or on Norwegian but I'm thinking about it. It's been 4 months now since it's been published. For me actually this is something that really like a lifetime a, accomplishment. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. So you eventually ended up in Norway. Yes. And were you working on a cruise ship there or you were working on... In the beginning, we only would play on land. Uh, because back then, that's like 28 years ago, in every city in Norway, uh, they would have a live band in a restaurant as well. So there were so many bands before and you would play every day, not like now on the weekends. But you will be you will be playing every day, so right, um, six seven days a week. Yes, 
Yes. Yeah. Uh, and well, we came with a. <laughs> we came from Bulgaria to to Norway with Lada. You know this vehicle, this Russian vehicle called Lada. They, no, they will have they, they will have Moskvich and Lada. So we were quite a yeah interesting. Uh, so we we were traveling three thousand kilometers with that, and uh, as we saw in the beginning, only we would play every month in one city, and then next month we would go to another one. And uh, what the contracts would be for from six months to nine months, and you would play every day, and you wow. change cities every month. So that had it was back then, not anymore. And this was. This was through an agency, or yes, that yes. was through an agency. Golden now you and I, agency. we actually met in Copenhagen in Denmark. Remember, yes, <laughs> living how in can, the musicians' flat to go. <laughs> actually, yeah, I do remember how you introduced yourself to me, uh, and really? I'm not going to go into that in the, in the podcast. <laughs> but uh, sorry, sorry so about that. yeah. No, no, that was funny. It just means that all my friends knew me and they knew it was safe to make jokes like that. Yeah. But um, how how did you end up in Copenhagen? Well, I was uh, um, our band, just um, well, we disbanded, uh, and at some point we were actually uh, the best of friends. We were four guys: me and my brother, and two other guys from the school, schoolmates. So we were quite close, and so we were playing for ten years like that. But in the end, they all three of them got married in Scandinavia. <laughs> so it's, it was only me coming back to Bulgaria, and uh, after one uh, one year, I was sort of looking for job. Let and, me ask uh, you a, a quick question uh, yes. before you go into <laughs> because you Just had mentioned ahead. they had they all all gotten married to Danish. Or, or Scandinavian women. Was, How did yes. that work out in the end? <laughs> well, uh, are they still married? She, no, no, <laughs> no, no. The three of them they're divorced. I'm sorry to say. Yeah, that's that's a, such a common story. As a matter of fact, when I first came to Denmark, there was a joke that the musicians used to make that don't ever ma marry a Danish girl. Yeah, because uh, they all said that um, they they would. You know, be really into you in the beginning, but then one day they might just, with a drop of a hat, just say, "I'm I'm no longer interested." And divorce is so so much easier in Scandinavia, so it was. Uh, yes. Well, at least you've been warned. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think they were, <laughs> but but anyway, actually, our guitar our guitar player only got married with a Danish. The other two was with Norwegian. But that, but that yeah. guy, they, they were together for 20 years and they, all of a sudden, I, it was a really surprise for me. They were a really good couple. But anyway. Mm. You find that there's also cultural differences when you marry somebody. I, my, I myself am married to a Danish woman. Yes. So yes. Uh, luckily it works out really well for us. Our personalities are quite compatible. But I, I've seen in many instances it doesn't always work out so great uh, with the cultural differences. But... Um, that's so, what I talk about in a book, actually. Really? Yes, yes. That's a lot, a lot about this stuff. But okay, let's. I think I, I hear I hear a, a murder going on in the background somewhere. Uh, no, that's that's the ambulance. <laughs> the, the oh, it's an ambulance. The, okay, that's the ambulance. All right. So, 
that's how you ended up in Scandinavia. Where else have you played, uh, if anywhere else in the world? But I've been I've been to Poland. I've been Poland. playing in Poland. In Poland, yeah. In now Poland. that's an interesting yes. place. What What do you think of Poland? Poland's great. I loved it. I was in Warsaw. I was in Warsaw, and then uh, in Poznan. Mm. So so we would play in a in a Sheraton Sheraton suit and a hotel there, and that was that was great. I now was that it. something that you booked on your own, or is this through an agent as well? It it was through a uh, it was a, through a to a woman. She was a director, Bulgarian mm. director okay. of the Sheraton in Warsaw, and she, and she saw us here playing in a one of the clubs in Sofia, mm. and and they had this they had this um, pub with live music. I don't know if they still do, but in there was a every day. I was playing every day. Wow! That um, that club. So it was it was great. We would stay in Sheraton. Perfect. That's a, it's a, always a good way to find new work is by people who will come in and hear you play and say, "Hey, yes. I got a I got a bar over here, or a, a venue over there, and can you come play over there?" And that's how it starts. Sometimes it's not always through an agent. Sometimes it's just through meeting people. No. And that, uh, that would be actually. That would be actually the best way because people would see you. Yeah. You know, the way yeah. you perform. And if they like that, they will book you. And I have to say that um, most of the time, I, especially when I played in countries like Switzerland and you're having a really great night and there's the bar is completely packed and everybody is, you know, rooting for you. And then somebody comes up and says, man, you're awesome. And. I want you to play in my place. I've had people from Russia and different countries coming up to me saying, man, you got to come to France. You got to go. One guy even said, you know, let, I want to fly you out to the Philippines uh, in September. And, and I got to say 90% of the time, 95% of the time, it never works out. It's just pe drunk people who are. Uh, that would be my question, actually. How yeah. many, oh, how, how much of this? I, I'd say maybe like, you know. 5% of the time it actually turns into a gig. Uh, but the other 95%, it's just drunk people talking. <laughs> so. How many telephone numbers you have written down on a piece of paper? Yeah. And they all call yeah. me and yeah. Yeah. Got that. Yeah. Alcohol, it's a funny thing. It, uh, people get really excited when they're drunk. But they sober up the next day. You're lucky. Like that's why I actually started writing down on the paper, uh, not only my name, but where I'm from and where you met me, <laughs> because I knew like so the next remember. day they look at this piece of paper and they go, "Who the hell is this guy?" <laughs> so funny. that's funny you mentioned this. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure it's happened to you before. What do you most enjoy about the troubadour lifestyle? I would Being say, on the road and, and everything, yeah. I think it's just contagious, you know. Once you start traveling, there's something about it. First, just the traveling part, and then I don't know. It's of course meeting people. Yeah, that's that's one thing. It's meeting different people, talking with them, exchanging ideas, thoughts. Yeah, you know, you, you get out of your bubble. Of life. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So that's one thing. And then you get to yeah. challenge your own thoughts, your own views of of what you think life is about. And yes, 
Yes. You, you, you become an observer. You observe yeah. life from a different per, per, perspective. You see people, and you th- even when you play, maybe you yeah. do the same. When you play and you look at people and you think about them, you think what yeah. their life might be. I'm always imagining them naked, so yes, that's why I always well, have a smile th- on my face. <laughs> That that that's that's one thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, seriously so, yeah. though, um, yeah, I I call it uh, being a world citizen. You be, you become a citizen of the world. Uh, exactly. The more you travel and the more you get around, especially if you start mixing east and west. Oh um, yeah, you should know much better than me though, because you came from another continent, and for you it must be the I mean. The changes. Yeah, especially when I was in China. That was, that man, that was a mind blower, you know. I, I was also in Russia for eight days, but that was just for like a visit. And that also blew me away. Um, was, uh, I, I stuck yeah. out like a sore thumb. People could see me coming from a mile away. It was like foreigner on my head. As a matter of fact, I was traveling with a friend and she was Russian. And we go into this uh, museum and she bought the tickets for me because you could see written in Russian that there was one okay. price and then in English the there was another price. It was completely different price. So they, they charge you differently according to if you're a foreigner or not. And so uh, we get in and we hand in our tickets and the woman just looks at me and she says, where's he from? And then my <laughs> friend says, he's from here. He's Russian. And then she says, No. He has to get a another ticket, and then she just wrote "foreigner" in Russian right on the ticket. <laughs> and I had to go back out, and that's just the way it is. Uh, it was just so obvious. I don't know. Maybe it was because I was walking around with a smile on my face all the time, because everyone yeah, in Russia seemed so serious. Not, yeah, you should not smile. You should not smile in Russia. Yes, yeah. apparently no, they say that. Out. Yeah, it, it's reserved only for your friends. Otherwise, you're very serious all the time, always looking. You know, yes. Yeah. But uh, what? What about? Is. is there anything that you found being a troubadour and traveling that you didn't like, or any drawbacks? Mm. Yeah, yeah, I guess loneliness. Loneliness. Lonely, loneliness I, is the part that I didn't like, of course. And uh, you got, you know, being melancholy and nostalgia. You got all mm. this, and you have to just sort of fight with them or get used to it, mm. because I, because I, I see, I've, I've seen people like tough men, yeah, going to travel, and after the first month, they will be broken because mm. they are lonely, because mm. they are so dependable, of home, wives, you know, just their normal lives, and you can see them just really smashed down because of that, and it's tough. I don't know if people realize that, but it's really tough being on the road. I'm I'm you glad know, that you course. I'm glad that you said that because um in my book uh I had mentioned a couple of things that are drawbacks and loneliness loneliness is one of the things that I had mentioned and it, and it personally didn't affect me I I liked being on the road but it's not, you're not the first musician to tell me that uh, it's tough being alone for some musicians it's really really hard uh, to is. do that, it and it's not just being away from your your family or your wife. I mean, there are a lot of musicians that aren't married, but uh, you go out on the road and you're there for like two weeks, maybe four weeks, 
on some of these gigs and then you're out going somewhere else. And even if you make friends, you're, you, these aren't permanent relationships. These are, these are temporary friendships that, yes, and maybe you, you see them again, maybe a year later, if you're lucky. Um, because if you're working on a cruise ship, it might be different crews, uh, staff the next time. And then maybe you'll see yes. somebody you saw last time. Maybe you won't. Um, but, but there's no stability. That's the exactly. Thing. And, and of course we, me and you, we've seen people destroying themselves because of that. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And, uh, so it is tough. So I, I guess that's the toughest part. Mm. And um, so just by saying that, also, you have to go at night and entertain and look your best, even when in your mind you're not. That's yeah. the other thing. That's part of the job. That's, that's one thing when you, when you mentioned, you asked me, why did I start by myself? Just because I always love acoustic music, acoustic, playing acoustic guitar, and just stripping out the song. Yeah. And the sound like, well, you know, just a guitar and a voice. I always loved that. And one of one was, was one of the reasons to start as a troubadour. Yeah, I think it also has something to do with the personality of, of the musician. Um, you know, I grew up listening to all different kinds of music, but sometimes I really like to listen to guys like Neil Young, for example. And that's, that's the thing. You yes. listen to uh, these singer-songwriters and these guys who, you know, Bob Dylan, Neil Young, who will sit there just with their guitar, maybe a harmonica, and there's something about the mood that they set that makes it much more introspective and personal and emotional. Um, there's a very different vibe doing that. You know, just, band, just, it's all just energy. Mentioning. <laughs> yes, yeah. just mentioning Neil Young, and I'm getting the, the goosebumps. goosebumps. Yeah, it was one of one of the the reasons. Uh, and that's one thing that I've actually learned: start traveling to Copenhagen and meeting all these musicians. That's one thing that actually really changed my perspective of music. How's because that? I w because I, I, you know, meeting these these troubadours and seeing them playing, I, you know, that's that's telling me turns me into the Neil Young, Bob Dylan a lot after that Copenhagen period of mine. Wow. I, rem I remember going to, back then there were so many Jews, not anymore, but uh, I remember going to Old English and listening to, to some of the, the musicians and, uh, you know, I was, there was a, there was a change for me. Like that 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 year in Copenhagen really changed me as a musician. Mm. What, I would say. Can you can you remember what year that was or? I remember that was two thousand six. Two thousand six. I came wow. two thousand six. Yes, first, and I, I've got I've got this hit from Rich that ah. year actually. So, um, yeah, in the flat yeah, man. Rich Vargas. And, uh, Rich, Rich Rich Vargas and back then in the, in the flat there was like ten musicians. It was crazy. Eleven. It was crazy, in the living room, that all of them, and a part of everything else that we were doing that we're not <laughs> going to mention in the podcast. Yeah, we 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 used to jam as well. Yeah, I, I think that was some of the best nights is coming home after playing music and then going in the flat and playing music and you know? playing because yes, and then you just have to 
I don't have to, but it was, that was that vibe going on in the flat. Yeah, yeah. And I and guess that's the vibe that everybody's missing, really. Yeah, it was definitely, there was the camaraderie of having all your friends. And I could say that it didn't matter where we were living. It was the fact that we were all together. Because let's be honest, that flat was a hellhole. You know, <laughs> it was it was bad. It was really, really um, bad. Um, I don't have pictures. I don't have pictures, but uh, you know yeah, what? It was bad. <laughs> you remember Socrates? Uh, yes. Yes. Th- yeah, the Greek guy, obviously. <laughs> um, uh, so he he, he yeah he went into uh, the flat on the last day, <clears throat> and he made a video recording, and it's on oh. YouTube. You can actually okay. You can you can see it. So, do you have any favorite gigs? Out of all the gigs that you've played, any favorite places or types of gigs that you've played? Yes, yes, I do. Uh, well, in Copenhagen would be, of course, always Old English because that was the first gig uh, I had yeah. when I came to. Yeah. And um, I was having my, I brought my friend on a on my second gig. His name was uh, Atanas uh, from Bulgaria. And so we had like three, four months playing together. And we were really start to feel like a band because we were pra- we would practice a lot and uh, yeah six days so a week we, so six day a week so in the end we were like you know together and uh, yeah old English and the other one was Fisken mm. now where Fisken would be my favorite place to you know I, know, I have the to say it was good old English was also my first uh, oh. Copenhagen experience as well. And uh, it was probably one of the craziest gigs, especially on the weekends. It was on the weekends was special. crazy. Yeah. It was um, crazy, man. And Fiskin was also a, a little pub that just got rocking on the weekends. And it, yeah. not necessarily just the weekends, even in the weekdays. Uh, and it was people so just small. Be there. Yeah. It but was people like, would be dancing know. and you'd be having to protect your teeth from getting knocked out every five seconds by people dancing by your microphone. Every time I go to Copenhagen, I always go to Fisken, just uh, just because I had this great, great memories from yeah. that place. Yeah, the Newhound in general is a very special place. Did you ever do one of those boat tours around the harbor? Yes, yes, I did. Those are great. I I would do one once a year if I can, just because I love it so much. Do you have any tips? for other musicians who want to go out and travel and play music for a living? Something you learned on the road. I would say be patient. Patient. First. Yeah, patient, just because some some guys, especially young guys, want everything to happen so fast. And be patient and uh, be nice to each other. Mm. Be nice to each other. Every musician or you meet, just be nice to him. Say hello, because uh, you know you've seen people that are not. And oh, especially yeah. when you, especially when we talk about that, when you're away from from home, yeah, you gotta be nice to each other, yeah, because that helps a lot. Well, living in that flat, we we saw so many different characters coming in, <laughs> coming in and out of that place, and you yes, knew the guys yes. that were not gonna last that long. They just didn't have the personality yeah. for it. Yes, exactly. He would he, he would just say you know. When you see it, you, you knew yes, you knew he, they would not last. Yeah. The yeah. guy would come in and you would say, oh, this guy's an a-hole. <laughs> <laughs> and he would immediately alienate himself from everyone else. And uh, Yes. So, so yeah, 
be nice, be patient, and of course, everything else. You, of course, you have to you have to know to play guitar. But um, as, as as I remember, as I remember, me, you remember Mick? Yeah, of course. Of course yeah, and then he would say, "You just be be on time for the gig, be on the stage, and the singing is just an extra. If if you can sing, that's an extra. Just be on the stage, be on yeah, time. It, it's about entertaining." You got to be able to play the right music, the right repertoire, yes. and know how to speak and, to an audience. And oh, yes, yeah. definitely, definitely. Yeah. yeah, but I, I'm thinking about how you were saying you, you have to be nice um, to people, and I, I, I like to believe in karma. I like to believe that you can, you know, what you put out in the world comes back to you. And I know that I've seen it happen to me a few times playing the gigs that if I met a musician and we hit it off really well. Um, one in particular, I remember uh, I went out of my way to get her a gig in Switzerland and uh, I introduced her to this gig. And years later, she paid me back by giving me a gig in Norway. That's um, great. That's great. Similar thing with uh, a guy who uh, was from Australia and we became really good friends and he, Decided to become an agent one day, and he invited me off to uh, Brisbane and oh. Sydney, and I was two months in Australia because of That's the great. connection I met there. He also introduced me to Greece as well. So, I mean, this is where you really make these life-changing connections. And if you you know you run around acting like a, a butthole while you're in the you know <laughs> hanging around they're not going to be inviting you to these these fun things so exactly yeah, yeah. so that that's one thing and uh, yeah. that's that's cool who, who, who was that who was that australian guy uh, you got me curious now actually is that um, bob is that bob no he's from tasmania believe it or not um <gasps> but uh no i'm i'm talking about michael thomas and he's actually going to be in an, another episode i'm going to interview him i'm so. going to Wait for all these episodes. That's, oh, yeah. It's a really nice idea. Really nice idea, Jason. Thanks. Okay. Well, you know what? You know, I'm on lockdown and I needed something to do. Yeah. Because. That's, uh, that's a good way to do it. Yeah. To be. I don't know if I've told you this, but I'm working in a completely different field these days. You know, I'm, I have a day job, a boring day job working in IT. No, I know. I, I remember. Yeah. I met, so, you, I met you last year. So I think. That's right. That's right. We talked about, about it then. Yeah. Um, Although it's good money, you know, I'm missing out on all the things that I, I l really love about being creative. I, I, saw, I saw you in a Old Irish last year as well. You were on fire, man. Oh, thanks, man. I saw one night. Yeah, with, I think with R the other guitar You came player. with Rich, right? Yeah, yes, yes. And you were on yeah. fire, man. You were Thank really, you. really good. Yeah, it's great. it was a great gig. I remember thanks. that. Well, um, what about gear? Now, I mean, this is a completely different subject, but of course, do you, is there any piece of gear that you like to bring with you on the road that you said, you know, this is really useful for me, that you would recommend other musicians to bring? Or what? What do you use? Obviously, you have your guitar and your microphone. Anything yes. else? Yes. Well, not nowadays, I I use a lot loop loop, loop stations. Uh, looper loop stations. I use a lot, and mm. we've learned it back when we started in the in Copenhagen. Yeah, back then it was not so popular, so fashion popular. But yeah. I remember we were sitting, we were sitting in a in a flat and just trying to get the 
the right beat and everything. But the looper nowadays for me, it's really, really important. Really? See, I couldn't personally make it work. And as a matter of fact, in the last interview I had, we were talking about that. And for some, for, you know, for some people, it, it works and others, it doesn't. Yeah. Just as long as you not overdo it. Yeah. And I think you also, you have to have good timing with your feet to make it work. It made me crazy. Mm. Believe me, first four months, I was, I was just wanted to try it in a... Yeah, you, you can't well, you just have time. You can't just go and buy a loop station and then bring it to your gig the you know no, the same night. No, no, no. <laughs> it doesn't work. Like you actually just, have to sit home and practice with it. That's a good advice. Don't buy a looper and go go straight to the gig. <laughs> just don't do it. Yeah, you'll be fired. <laughs> yeah, that's that's another thing. It's some of those gigs are a, a little bit more free where you can experiment and play around on quiet nights but then there's other places that you play and if you're not banging out all those hits consistently and let's be honest you know you're playing for the bar staff a lot of times and if the bar staff isn't happy then that's the thing that's actually a very very good advice Mm. you have to not be only careful with the audience but with the bar staff yeah you have you always have to have it in mind yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, I I always go with this mindset. Yeah, and, and I I would even argue that they're a little bit more important than the audience because they're it could be could be the 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 bosses they get the feedback from the bar staff, and there have been nights when I've played, and I thought I was doing great, and people were tipping me, and the audience was uh, very appreciative, but there was somebody in the bar that. Maybe they were having a bad night. They decided to yes. write something that yes. they they didn't like, and then it, suddenly my agent is calling me back and going, "You know what? What happened over here?" And uh, so I don't know. I thought I was doing great. So you you definitely have to keep them happy for sure in this line of work. But um, so that's yeah that that's the, that's the other tough uh, part of being a, a troubadour because you have to every night. You have to make it work. You have to be hundred percent almost every night. Yeah, that that's, that's right. the thing. You cannot. And yeah, because, because you're, you're a human being, and especially as you get older, and uh, it gets harder and harder for you to recover after each gig, especially if you you like to drink and so on. Um, it yeah, can be tough, tough. to that's do tough. six nights a week. <laughs> Um, (laughs) one last thing without going too crazy do you have any funny stories that you can share about being on the road anything that you think people uh, will find amusing well I would say this and I'm going to mention a a colleague of ours who just yeah he he passed away last month Andrew Rhodes oh yeah yeah very sad you know he he was a very funny guy I just want to talk about Funny things about him, he was a great guy and he always make fun, you know. So I remember he was playing, what was that place next to Fiskin on the, I just don't remember, in New Haven. McJoy's, the there's McJoy's, uh, there's Barack, there's Fiskin, there's Barack. New Hound 17, that, that Barack. That was, yeah. that was Barack. Yeah. And I was, I was in the city, I was playing maybe Fiskin. And the first night, Andrew Rhodes goes into Barack, orders a beer, takes the beer to the microphone, drinks it and says, 
uh, the beer here sucks to the audience. He got fired <laughs> on the next, on the same night. <laughs> but that's Andrew Rhodes, man. You know, God bless him. I love him. Yeah, I love no, him. I, uh, he, he was the, one of the only but, people I knew that could punctuate a sentence with a fart. And he yeah. had like perfect timing with it too. I, I think yes, he did it uh, deliberately. And I just, you know, I, you know. Yeah, no, he I, was I just, great. But that was really, it was really, really funny. Oh, the beer here, really bad. And then... <laughs> You know, like, uh, you know, I was just talking to Michael Thomas, the the uh, troubadour from Australia, uh, yeah. and he says, you know, Andrew Rhodes, that would have been a podcast interview right there. Yeah. It, it really yeah, would. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. He was so funny. He was, he yeah. was so intelligent guy. He's also he was yeah. really wise and yeah, yeah. Absolutely. He would act a little, you know, out of the place, but he was a very, very, very nice yeah, guy, and also quick, a very good musician. Wit. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like this English sense of humor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. Se man. Self, self, self irony. He had this self irony that an English man would have. So I remember him like this. Well, that about wraps it up for today's podcast. I want to thank once again our guest Petko Slavo for coming on to share his story with us. Thank you. If you like what you heard and you want to learn more, Please go to Amazon and pick up a copy of Troubadour, A Musician's Guide to Touring Europe as a Cover Artist. We're going to take you out with Petko's latest single, In My Head, by his band Airbag. Thanks again, and see you next time. It was a pleasure. Yeah.